Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of our Risk and Regulation Rundown podcast. This is a monthly podcast where we discuss the latest risk and regulatory developments affecting our industry, some insights from our work with clients and our perspective on industry talking points. I'm Sarah Eisted, your regular host, and as we did last month, we're recording this episode remotely, so please bear in mind that as a result, the sound quality might not be quite as good as usual. In this episode, we're discussing the regulation of payments, and I'm delighted to be joined by our first ever external guest, Christina Siegel-Knowles, who is the Executive Director for Financial Markets Infrastructure at the Bank of England, and John Maskery, a PwC partner who leads our payments teams. And this is a very timely topic, given the rapid pace of developments in the payment sector and some of the changes we're currently living through. So, John, could you start by giving us a bit of background on how the payment sector is evolving? Yes, thank you, Sarah. Um, we're currently in a time of unprecedented change, really, across the, uh, the payments industry, um, being driven by three major themes or axes. The first one, really, the continued regulation, including PSD2. Secondly, the global consolidation of standards onto the ISO 20022 standard. And finally, the continued innovation and disruption from fintechs in the payments arena. All three of these are inextricably linked and driving the organizations we work with to think about their payments businesses. Now, there are different ends to the spectrum. Um, some organizations are focusing on payments through operational excellence and resilience, driving out the maximum cost synergies. Others are looking to reevaluate their payments businesses and look at how they take advantage of potential revenue streams afforded by open banking, for example. A study that PwC uh, conducted back in 2018 highlighted a revenue opportunity of 7.2 billion created by open banking. And that opportunity uh, would be the size of the market by 2022. Um, banks and fintechs are sort of feeding in the thinking around that into their business strategies and looking at how they can tap into this market. So through those three lenses, a huge amount of change and thought into how the industry is going to move forwards. Thank you, John. And that revenue opportunity is massive, isn't it? So it's no wonder that organisations are, are reflecting on how how they get involved and do that in a safe and appropriate way. You, you mentioned the Payment Services Directive, um, known as PSD2. How has the implementation of that directive impacted the sector? And are there any issues that firms are still finding challenging? Yes. Um, PSD2 incorporated two of the key parts or key um, APIs within open banking. It incorporated the account information service provision where um, with consent of the customer, uh, banks could provide uh, information to other institutions and also uh, the payment initiation service um, service provision where banks could initiate payments on behalf of, um, uh, of customers with consent. Um, these services to be provided by banks were at the cornerstone of driving competition into payments and uh, financial services. However, 
there were um, risks. Um, providing these interfaces could have caused risks to customers. And as a result, PSD2 incorporated far-reaching safeguards, including cybersecurity standards, strong customer authentication and access, consent management, transaction monitoring and fr fraud controls, and reporting uh, of uh, any fraud breaches. While some organizations have completed the journey, some are still implementing some of the changes and the strong customer authentication implementation dates for cards have been pushed back into 2021. And some organizations are still challenged with the implementation of these. Um, and it may be that some of these challenges have slowed the, uh, the, the rise of new opportunities and new for customers and new competitors, fintechs, and, uh, and functionality in the market. As such, um, we're seeing that the, uh, the 7.2 billion pound market, it is there, but it's uh, gonna be accessed and it may not be accessed until um, later than 2022. Brilliant, thank you, John. And Christina, welcome to the podcast. Um, how do you see the payment sector evolving and innovating from your perspective? And what are some of the challenges, but also opportunities that that innovation brings? Thanks, Sarah. So I think, I think John covered a number of the regulatory changes underpinning some of what we've seen very well. I think I would add maybe a couple of things on top of that that I think are driving real change in in the way that we make payments and and both the things that that we see in front of us when we make a payment, but also uh, the things lying behind that and and what the um, what the industry how the industry is structured and how a typical payment is made. Um, so I think in addition to some regulatory changes, which John has outlined, we've also seen some cultural changes and and just changes in the way that c consumers purchase things and and their own expectations around convenience around and around um, around speed at which they they'd expect to make a payment. Um, we've seen over the last from the in the ten years from two thousand eight to twenty eighteen, you saw a decline in the use of cash. Um, from about 60% of transactions to around 28% of transactions. We've also seen a really massive increase in, in the amount of um, commerce that's going on online, uh, as well as in many countries, a very rapid rise in the use of, of contactless payments um, rather than traditional uh, chip and pin. Um, and so you put that all together in, alongside the regulatory changes that John was talking about, and it's been a real driver of innovation in in payments um, and in the way a typical payment is made. So far, a lot of that innovation has been really concentrated in the early parts of a pay the payments chain. And when I'm talking about the payments chain here, I'm talking about all of the steps that it takes to get from the point of initiation, the point that you walk in the shop and tap your card, to the the point at which it the payment is made into the merchant's bank account. So there are a number of steps along the way. Um, there's been a lot of change that we are seeing already in those first changes, that initiation, um, some of that's visible to people who are, who are walking to shops and, and seeing different ways of tapping your card on a laptop, different little machines at the initiation point. But there's also access um, and innovations um, sitting behind that around the way that those um, initiation services are connected to various payment systems. Um, and 
And we've seen a number of non-bank players get involved in, in those stages of the payment, payment process, partly out of these changes in the way that we um, culturally expect to make a payment um, and partially driven by the regulatory ch- changing regulatory environment as well. I think all of that comes together in, in a number of opportunities. I think um, the innovation that we're seeing is already improving um, customer convenience. Um, it may make uh, access to payment services easier for some small businesses. Um, in some cases, it may act to reduce costs. So I think there's a number of things that, that come out of this innovation that are very, very positive. But it also is something that as, as a regulator, um, we need to be looking at to make sure that it doesn't introduce new risks that then um, could pose risks to payment systems. I think we see um, the ability to make payments securely and um, and with reliability as something that's quite fundamental to financial stability in the United Kingdom. And so we need to make sure that as this innovation happens, we're able to keep up and make sure that the regulation is um, fit for purpose. And really, the regulatory regime that we have here in the United Kingdom was, was designed for a world in which most of the steps in this payments chain, the, the way that a payment gets from point A to point B, were used to be conducted either by, by banks um, and large banks who were also involved in um, payment services or by pay, um, core payment systems. So your, your big payment um, systems, whether those are card providers or electronic payments providers. Um, and processors, and that covered the entirety of the payment the payments chain, and they were all covered by regulation in our regulatory um, environment. I think now with these new players coming in, particularly in that front end of the the payments chain, those initial state stages, both the things you see and the things you don't see, the thing that's a challenge for us is to make sure that that those steps, which could potentially disrupt the entire payment if they if they fell apart, um, are are regulated properly. So I think lots of lots of opportunity, lots of things that could really improve the situation for for businesses and households um, in the United Kingdom and globally, um, but also also some challenges to to make sure that the regulation keeps up. Definitely, and the pace of change that you've referred to there, in terms of you know the last ten years. Um, is immense isn't it so so you know that the impact on regulators um is significant and you and you touched upon there um on, on the way the regulators are thinking about approaching payments um do, are there any other aspects that you think regulators need to be considering in terms of managing some of the risks that you've mentioned yeah so i think i think there are a number of things that that we need to be thinking about i think I think the first is the one that I've already mentioned, just to make sure that all of the entities that are involved in payments and could be potentially important to how payments are made are, are regulated in a way that sort of uh, not only, as I mentioned, make sure that, that payments are safe and secure and reliable, that's, that's obviously very important and fundamental, but also in a way that isn't um, specific to a certain technology and ends up inadvertently dampening innovation by, by having the regulation based around what type of entity you are, what type of technology you're using, rather than what is the fundamental risk that we're trying to address, because we want to be in a situation where we're, we're helping to, to foster innovation and that, that we're not biasing the wh- where innovation goes to fit the regulation. Instead, the regulation should be based around the risk um, and, and be something that facilitates all sorts of, 
of technologies, all sorts of, of different types of entities, whether that's a bank or a non-bank, um, providing a service provided it can be done in a way that's safe and regulated appropriately. I think the other thing that we've been looking at very closely um, is, is as we're right now, most of the innovation that we've been seeing, as I just said, is really focused in, uh, in potentially adding new stages or adding new players into payments chains that are pretty well established. The things that we already have seen where payments are generally still either going through through card rails, so, so going through a debit or a credit card system, or they're going bank to bank. I think there's also potential for even more fundamental innovation coming down the, the line where you'd go through an entirely different way to pay. And that's something that we're looking ahead to the future to make sure that the, the regulatory system can also keep up with. And I, and I wanted to touch on on that because one of the fascinating innovations that we hear a lot about, and I know a number of my clients are thinking about, is stable coins. So, so a number of firms are proposing business models which involve using crypto assets, which can be known as stable coins for transactions that are currently processed by retail or wholesale payment systems. Now, this will be very different for the industry or, or could be very different. So in your mind, what questions does that pose for the industry and how it's regulated? I think that's a great question. I think that is the type of thing that I was I was thinking about when I was mentioning the um, the potential for things to move into an entirely different way to pay. I think stablecoins are, are particularly interesting in that the proposal is not just um, as an innovation of sort of how do you get that payment from point A to point B, but stablecoins are proposing to actually change the thing with which you are paying. Um, and that's something that's not, it's not necessarily new. We've seen, um, private money and, and private electronic money in the past, but it's typically been in the form of private bank deposits. And that's what we're transferring in a payment system, um, rather than, than something that is completely outside the regulatory system. And so stable coins and the stable coin proposition not only need a regulatory response that can deal with the elements that would be replacing a traditional payment system or a private payment service provider and making sure that stable coins are regulated in line with that, um, because they will be providing and posing the same risks as, as if you were making a payment with a card or making a payment bank to bank. Um, and therefore, the regulation, as I just said, if we're trying to be technology neutral, you need to be thinking about how do you capture a stable coin that's providing those services in the same way that you pr- capture a traditional firm using um, more um, more traditional technologies to, to make that same payment. But you also need to be thinking about these stable coins are proposing to create the the money or the money-like instrument that they're transferring. And that's something that typically has been something that that requires regulation and requires rules around it to make sure that it provides that stability of value and that those protections that customers and businesses have come to expect um, in the way that they make a payment. And so it raises all sorts of very interesting questions um, that that regulators will need to grapple with, um, both regulators in the UK, but also regulators internationally. Thank you, Christina. And John, what's your perspective on these types of innovations and, and, and what you're seeing from your work in the industry? I, I, I certainly think that stable coins um, can be a, a massive step forward for us. You know, we've seen a lot of volatility and instability associated with uh, with, with um, 
currencies such as bitcoins um but having stable uh stable coins engineered for stability you know they offer the same benefits of custodianship and blockchain but without the uh without the volatility and making them massively uh you know massively positive and you know really good use cases from a payments perspective um these include um things like remittance settlement and uh, and escrow um overseas workers trying to send money uh, money home and not having to pay hefty fees or waiting a considerable amount of time before the money is received um you know stable coins could play a major role in uh, cross border payments due to the fact that they don't require the middleman so i think you know in the world where we are encouraging a lot of uh, a lot of innovation um certainly stable coins uh, you know are are a next step on the journey that, that that really do open up a market and just provide so much opportunity for financial institutions customers thank you and and of course covid-19 is impacting payments firms as it, as it is for all financial services firms and the fca published its um, business plan in april and highlighted that making payments safe and accessible was one of its four midterm priorities and that it was concerned that covid-19 could impact payment services firms financial strength but also consumers abilities to access cash and payment services so, so John, can you talk us through how COVID nineteen is impacting firms that, that you've seen, and and how they can continue to meet regulators' expectations in the current situation and beyond? Yeah, I think as Christina mentioned uh, earlier, I think COVID nineteen has and 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 will continue the drive towards electronic payments. Cash has been perceived as a disease vector further driving customers towards digital contactless payments. And I think that will just continue to accelerate the move away from uh, away from cash towards these more innovative payment methods. Um, with regards to the pandemic, through that we, uh, we, we, we across our, uh, our industry, we saw uh, challenges initially with mobilizing the remote working, but in reality, the the FS markets moved to these new ways of working incredibly quickly. There were challenges with contact centers, um, but technology supported the creation of new centers, um, enabling people to work from home in a contact center or call center. That's an important part of you know, a payment journey uh, for, for a customer understanding where, where, where a payment may be, what's happened to a payment. Um, we've also seen and we've all, all, always known that payments uh, have always needed to be resilient and in general um, the platforms have stood up to the test with you know very few uh, outages over the period if any um, you know that said banks do continue to focus on re resilience uh, both operationally and technically and if we if we see that continued move um, away from away from cash to digital payments, um, financial service organisations will need to ensure that their systems that process their payments um, ha have the capacity to deal with the uh, deal with the new volume. Um, 
you know, the final thing I would say about COVID-19 is, uh, you know, we have seen an increase in fraud and scams as a result of COVID-19. Um, but the regulatory changes driven by PSD2, especially in the fraud space, uh, will have done more to protect customers than, uh, than would have previously been there. Um, so, you know, a lot of change, a lot of impact from, from, from COVID uh, across the industry. And thank you, John. And Christina, what are the Bank of England's current priorities in terms of supervising payment firms and financial market infrastructure firms? Uh, so, so I think John did a good job sort of highlighting some of the challenges that, that we faced. I mean, I think thinking about this current situation the, and the COVID-19 crisis, I think we've had sort of a perfect storm in some ways um, where you've had a combination of, of have real operational challenges in terms of the volumes um, that are going through payment systems shifting, depending on whether it's a wholesale payment system or a retail payment system. Um, there have been different dynamics for different systems, but but definitely changes in the, the types of payments that are flowing around. Um, we've had at the same time an economic and a financial stress, um, which um, impacts payment systems. It also, I think, very heavily impacts some of the um, the other financial market infrastructure that banks supervises, for example, um, central clearing counterparties, um, which are are really at the center of, of financial markets and and um, and are very important in current moment to financial market operations. Um, and and then you at the same time you've had all of the firms that we supervise have had to move to business continuity. Um, uh, their business continuity plans and working from home. And you've had that all happen at the same time. So I think given all of that, we've been really, I think, pleased at, at how well things have held up. I think it's, it's been something that we've continued to focus on how do we support the firms that we supervise in navigating this um, and really try to reorient our supervisory activities to be focused on the, the current challenges that firms are facing rather than thinking about things that are, are further down the line so that they can really focus on making sure that they, they are able to continue to be secure and reliable through this challenge. I think looking ahead, I think we will need to, to continue to, to work with, with the firms that we supervise to think about how do ch ongoing changes and ongoing challenges um, affect their their ability to continue to provide that that secure and reliable service. I think John mentioned um, changes in in the way that people make payments and and the continuing and potentially accelerated declining use of cash. And that's going to be quite important. Um, we're also going to have to think about as we go through through the response to COVID nineteen whether that is um, additional stages and, and additional periods of market volatility as people adjust to the economic realities of, of some of the things that have gone on. I think there'll be continue to be things that we need to work very closely with firms on. Um, and I think we'll also need to work with them as they think through um, how do they continue to, to operate in, in a changing environment when it comes to their, their working from home, coming back into the office, all of those things will be challenges going forward. Um, so, so I think, Lots to think about, lots to look at. Um, on the other hand, I think actually a really positive story in terms of how financial market infrastructure has performed so far um, and, and really underscores, going back to our earlier conversation, the importance of just making sure that the things that are key to making a payment 
um, the things that are, um, households and businesses are relying on um, are well supervised and have the operational or financial um, resilience and the, the business continuity planning in place going into a future crises. Because I think um, all of that, the performance that we've seen to date is not just due to, to happenstance, it's instead because um, we've worked very closely with with firms to make sure that they they were ready for for an, for a stress, and I think um, so far so far we've seen that um, pay off in terms of of the resilience that we've seen to date. Brilliant. Thank you, Christina, and thank you, John, um, for such an interesting discussion. We we could continue, I've no doubt, um, and explore this uh, further. So so thank you both very much. Um, if you found this helpful, um, please share it with your colleagues and subscribe to future episodes of the podcast. And we'll be back with another episode next month. But in the meantime, do take care and continue to stay safe. Thanks very much, everybody.